sportsgrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. Sportsgrid.com. The record-breaking performance in fantasy football for a lot of you out there who owned a member of the Kansas City Chiefs. There's no doubt about that. You talk about an exciting performance, you talk about a big performance, and you're talking about fantasy playoffs. Well, one player may have gotten you there yesterday. Time for Fantasy Sports Today here on SportsGrid. I'm Craig Mish along with Joe Pizapia. It's our post-Thanksgiving Day edition here on the show. Joe, good to see you again. Hope you had a good Thanksgiving, good weekend. Likewise, my friend. Welcome back. Did we miss anything? I mean, geez, this was a pretty eventful few days there. We take a couple days off for the holiday. We come back. And it's madness, incredibly big performances from guys like Chubb and Henry and obviously Tyreek Hill. You got the fight to talk about. You got uh, Robinson memes uh, getting knocked out by a YouTuber. You got some crazy things happening in the world of sports and more coaching firings. Oh, wait. And also the Ravens couldn't go to practice today. Oh, Craig Mish, it's going to be a fun two hours here on FST. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see for those of you who held on to your Ravens and Steelers this week, if that's going to end up paying off. But perhaps that's a story for the Tuesday edition of Fantasy Sports Today. Let's get to Monday here before we look forward. Let's take a quick look back. Uh, Mahomes and Hill star in the Chiefs win over the Buccaneers. If you took the Bucs plus the points, you win. That's very important. Worth noting here at the top of the show. Uh, but yeah, it was it was Mahomes and Tyreek Hill, honestly, in the first half of that game versus the Buccaneers. Bucks. Did a much better job defensively in the second half. We'll see if that leads to good things for them moving forward. Kendall Hilton Hinton was the story of the weekend as the Denver Broncos didn't have a quarterback to play. Hinton, who threw a few passes at Wake Forest, didn't really throw many in the game on Sunday. Honestly, an embarrassment, I think, for the NFL to have Denver have to play that game and go through it, and the Saints dominated from start to finish. It was really ugly, but at least Hinton got his chance to play quarterback in the NFL. We will say that. The Lions do away with their coach, Matt Patricia, their general manager, Bob Quinn. This was really after the ugly Thursday performance on Thanksgiving, and they had proven nothing in their tenure there with Detroit. Unfortunately, even a worse tenure than the one before with Jim Caldwell. Jared Patterson, what a day he had Saturday, backing up his 300 rushing yard performance with 408 yards on the ground and eight touchdowns. Yes, that was all in one game in the MAC. Patterson is quickly moving up the Heisman Trophy odds as well. We'll talk about that a little bit later in the show. Sarah Fuller kicked for Vanderbilt over the weekend, and uh, they ended up firing their head coach. She makes Power 5 history. Derek Mason uh, really didn't accomplish anything at Vanderbilt, so hopefully greener pastures ahead for Vandy. I like Derek Mason. I was upset to see him let go. And then Saturday night, Joey had the exhibition fight between Mike Tyson and Roy Jones Jr. They fought to a draw. I think most who watched would have probably said Tyson won, although I wouldn't say it was all that convincing. A lot of holding, a lot of hugging, a lot of kissing. But, uh, you know, maybe this is the start of seeing Tyson more on television. I don't know that Roy Jones wants to fight Tyson again based on his comments after that. But I have to say that I did dive into the fight, did end up watching it, fell asleep before, woke up in time for it to happen. There you go. It started around midnight on the East, I think a little bit after that, after Snoop Dogg's uh, performance. But it, it suckered me in, I guess, is what I could say. But overall, I would say the fight was not exciting and not good. But it was good to see Tyson back in the ring. 
I'll tell you what, the, the memes of the undercard knockout was, uh, th that was the most entertaining part I think I saw. I woke up the next day to all of those, and uh, there were some brutal stuff. Uh, sometimes Twitter is very funny in a very dark way, but I think the biggest takeaway from the fights was how great and entertaining is Snoop Dogg on commentary. You got Mauro Ronaldo, one of my favorite announcers in the history of the universe, one of my guys, and we welcome in our radio audience here to Fantasy Sports Today, right here on SportsGrid. We're talking about the fights from this weekend before we get to all the NFL, and, and Craig, I thought Snoop Dogg was the story. That was my big takeaway. How entertaining and amusing is this guy? If you're going to put Snoop Dogg on commentary for boxing, period, I think that I'd even watch. If you go back to the Showtime boxing and get Snoop Dogg a contract, get him on there. The dude was incredibly entertaining. And, and you're right. You know, we, we're circling back to NFL, too. Getting Hitton to make that start, uh, that was just what a bizarre set of circumstances as things unfolded Saturday night for the Denver Broncos. They were even asking the NFL if they could get their offensive quality control coach who actually knows the playbook and played a little uh, college football at UCF and played a little quarterback if he could suit up and play. That's how desperate things got, and the NFL said, no, you can't do that, and this is what we got. But I give the kid credit for going out there and at least trying. He got his NFL moment. It wasn't pretty, but you know what? He's got a great story to tell his grandkids someday. Yeah, that's true. I, I again, I, I don't think that game should have been played. I didn't think. I don't think that was fair to Denver to have to do that. But but look, we we really don't know what happened behind the scenes there, and I'm sure that we'll find out soon. I'm not going to speculate on that because people did that with the Marlins for a month, and that wasn't fair. So I'm not going to do it with the Broncos. But given the nature of of what happened in New England with them pushing back Cam Newton off off his positive test. I don't see why Denver could have, uh, you know, waited a day or two to play. The outcome may have been the same, honestly, in, in terms of wins and losses. But I, I thought they were dealt a very unfair hand. And and the NFL's lack of of basically making sure that these guys are keeping protocols is really what we should be talking about today, not the Broncos' lack of of paying attention to it. So that's my opinion on that. But there is no doubt that the obvious story is what happened yesterday between the Chiefs and the Bucks. Because it was a historical day for Tyreek Hill of the Kansas City Chiefs. I think the better question is, in the history of fantasy football, was Tyreek Hill's first half performance the best <laughs> of all time? And furthermore, was his full game performance the best of all time in the history of fantasy football? That's what we will find out next when we take a look at our fantasy standouts as we're just getting started here on Fantasy Sports Today here on this Monday. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving Day holiday. Now it's time for us to go through game by game, score by score, and player by player as we head to the final week in the regular season for a lot of you of fantasy football. This is Fantasy Sports Today here on Sports Grid. I'm Craig Mish along with Joe Pizapia. We'll be back in just two minutes with more discussion and find out who did what in fantasy football. So that's next. And don't go away. Stay on the grid. We'll be right back. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. And welcome back to Fantasy Sports Today. Yesterday's NFL definitely provided a lot of activity in the Kansas City Chiefs-Tampa Bay Bucks game. It was the game going in that was billed as the best game of the week. It really didn't turn out that way in terms of the outcome, although the Buccaneers did make it closer in the end, maybe even closer than it appeared. 
But the uh, NFL MVP, I, I think, may have been wrapped up yesterday, Joe, with that performance from Patrick Mahomes. I, I, I understand that there are some other players that are in the mix for sure, and things can change on a dime, as we know, in the NFL with all the COVID and players being in and out. And certainly if that was to happen, it'd be a different discussion. But I, I think yesterday just kind of cemented at home and with only four or five games left to play in Kansas City, maybe not even need the last one of them. I think that, uh, as you can see on the odds in the FanDuel Sportsbook, it's basically Mahomes to lose, I think, at this point. Yeah, I think I absolutely agree with that statement without a doubt. And uh, look, Patrick Mahomes might be the most dominant player in the NFL, and you watched it yesterday. And, you know, the Bucks did a better job in the second half of that game, and I know we're going to break it down a little bit later, but, you know, Mahomes just plays the game at a, a different level than everybody else. And that's saying a lot because you watch that Thanksgiving performance of Deshaun Watson, which was brilliant. You know, Russell Wilson's had some great moments this year. Certainly Kyler Murray and Aaron Rodgers have had no shortage of great moments either. But Patrick Mahomes has been that guy. He's that guy that's just going out there every week. He only threw his three interceptions so far this year, two of them against the Raiders, one in this other game. The 462 yards that he threw for this week was his second highest total. And it's always fun to see, you know, the GOAT and what could be the next GOAT or the guy to unseat him kind of face off. This might be the last time we ever see it. And now they have officially a 500 record against each other, unless, of course, they meet one more time in Tampa this year, which is not out of the realm of possibility. But I think looking forward, you're looking at kind of the passing of the torch in the league from the greatest quarterback to do it to maybe the next greatest quarterback to do it. Definitely could be for sure. Let's take a look at our fantasy standouts from Sunday. Mahomes connected 37 of his 49 passes for 462 passing yards, also rushed for 28 yards and threw three touchdowns. Also worth noting, Kirk Cousins had a nice game yesterday for the Minnesota Vikings as they came back to beat the Carolina Panthers. Very entertaining game in that one. 34-45, 307 yards and three touchdowns. Derrick Henry just tore up the Colts, 27 carries, 178 yards, two receptions, seven yards, and three touchdowns, and it could have even been worse. If this game was closer, Henry would have went well over 200 yards. I didn't even rush him in the fourth quarter. Nick Chubb, what a game he had, 19 carries, 144 yards, was unstoppable against the Jaguars, also three receptions for 32 yards and a touchdown. We mentioned Tyree Kill. We're going to go through this a little bit deeper, but he had 13 receptions for 269 receiving yards and three touchdowns and virtually all the damage in the first half of this game. And Justin Jefferson, worth mentioning, with Thielen on the COVID list, had seven catches, 74 yards, and two touchdowns in this one. So, look, I, I think it is all Chiefs discussion, as it probably should be today, Joe, but mm -hmm. that connection from Mahomes to Hill was just an absolute monster. My only regret from yesterday, yesterday was the most money that I won on FanDuel all season long in the tournament that I played. But but how did I not see the Saints defense on my list? Like, I just don't. That was like a big blind spot for me yeah. yesterday. Why? I didn't. If I would have went with them, I would have won so much money. And <laughs> I don't know why. Like, I went in Sunday just clicking and pasting and going. And I really don't. I, I don't dive in, I guess, deep enough to make that happen but mm -hmm. boy that i mean that that's my big regret yeah. here today. well Is well i'll tell you what it wasn't that. the I, it wasn't the best defense, actually. It was a good one. It was one I had with you, but uh, the one that won the million dollars was a 0.8% owned out of 536,000 entries Atlanta Falcons defense. That was the defense to yeah. have yesterday, not just because of the total. I wouldn't have regretted that. Though. That I wouldn't have regretted. Well, like, but here's the thing. Like, why did I yeah, take that's. I don't know. You probably it, should have picked the Saints, but I'll do you one better, man. I had Chubb and Henry in a couple lineups together, but unfortunately still had Derek Carr in those same lineups. And yet those lineups all still cashed. 
But how pathetic when you're looking at good, you know, twenty dollars, which could have been two thousand dollars if he just had Kirk Cousins instead of Derek Carr or something like that. I mean, what a put a hundred performance I, there. I mean, maybe maybe I don't understand DFS. Points? Uh, yeah, I maybe don't, I don't understand you know, DFS as well. But I had Mahomes and Hill with Chubb and Henry. I had Mahomes and Hill. I, I had Mahomes and Hill and some lineups too, and those all cashed as well. So yes, it was a good day. If you had what if you had those four players, you basically were cashing. But yeah, New Orleans was that defense, I think, that also, you know, it became right through the roof in terms of roster percentage, but rightfully so. I mean, how could you take a kid who hasn't played quarterback at all and expect him to do anything? And, and look, I give the guy a lot of credit for going out there. Just just for answering the bell, I give this guy a ton of credit. But he had more interceptions than he had completions. That's not usually going to be something where, uh, you know, we're worrying too much about (laughs) the other side offensively in that game. Yeah, I mean, for me, I was disappointed because I thought that, I mean, that was the best lineup I had put together all season long. And and I only won 50 Mm -hmm. bucks. Like, I don't know. I just I I feel like I'm going to retire from FanDuel uh, playing DFS the rest of the year and just cash and and save my money. No, come back. I'm I'm not going to do better than that tonight. No, no, don't listen to Craig. He's going to retire this year, and next year, September, is going to get the itch, just like Brett Favre always oh, did. Oh, yeah, no, I'll be, be back, back next year. year. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, you're I'll, retiring I'll just for this year. season. Okay. I but if I put a DFS lineup in, and it has Mahomes and Chubb and Henry and Hill, and all I win is 50 bucks, I mean, come on, man. I, gotta, I, I mean, it's got to be better than that, but... Anyway, all right, my bad on the defense there for sure. All right, let's take a look at the top wide receiver performances (laughs) in history based off Hill's 13 reception, 269 receiving yards, and three touchdowns. It was not the best ever. I know it probably felt like that in fantasy, and it depends on when you started playing fantasy football. But if you started in the 80s, it definitely was not the best ever. Here are the top performances ever in the history of fantasy. Everybody's go-to is Flipper Anderson of the Rams on Monday night, as it should be. He had 15 receptions, 336 yards, and a touchdown scoring wise when you look at it he had 70 more yards two more receptions in a ppr uh, i mean it just depends on how you scored it back in the day there was no no such thing even as a ppr in 1989 so maybe not but uh, jerry rice's is above all in 1990 on a sunday against the falcons he had 13 receptions 225 but he had five touchdowns in that game so yeah that that's ever Jimmy Smith also beat Tyreek Hill back in 2000 for the Jaguars. He had 15 for 291 and three scores. So Rice and Smith for sure above. And then here are some other ones. Terrell Owens, 20 receptions, 283 yards and a touchdown. Drew Bennett in 2004 when Billy Volek was on that crazy run at the end of the season had 12 receptions, 233 yards, three touchdowns in the last game of the season and then got a huge contract after that. Good job by Bennett. And then Calvin Johnson, 14 receptions, 329 yards, and one touchdown there. So Hill goes basically, Joe, into the top five all time as far as fantasy performances. Definitely in the top five. Had a chance to be number one at the half. It was the number one at the half of all time. But again, we don't play these in halves. We play them for the whole game. And so close. No, but that first, close. That, it was, but that first half was very entertaining. I mean, you know, not just from the backlist, but, you know, that that deep ball that he threw to Hill, which was the deepest pass play they've had all season uh, for the Kansas City Chiefs, that was just such a stunning throw. It's one of the throws that you look at and you go, there's just not a lot of guys out there that can do that. Maybe you can count them on one hand, and Patrick Mahomes is one of them. It's just a terrific throw there, perfect spot. And Tyreek Hill, look, you know, when Tyreek Hill first came in the league, a lot of people thought he was going to be just a kind of a gadget player. He was too small. Yeah, he's small, but he's really fast, but he's never going to be a big-time fantasy impact guy. Well, I, I don't know what they were looking at in terms of the evolution of the NFL because it's become a much faster game. It's become a game that's dominated by speed more than anything, especially the rules have changed. And you know, it's some really great company there. I'll always take the Jerry Rice five-touchdown performance 
But I think the one that kind of gets a little overlooked is that 20 reception performance by Terrell Owens, because that's a guy who is literally just, I mean, I don't know how much of the offense total he equated for it. I have to go back and look, but 20 receptions in one game, that's a man going out there and working. And he's got the lunch pail and the hard hat. He is out there catching ball after ball after ball. That is an impressive performance. All of them are. And I remember as a kid watching the Flipper Anderson one, and I don't know how many great Flipper Anderson moments there were, but I'm trying to remember, like, going back into that point in time, who was the quarterback? Was that Jim Everett back in the day? Probably. Yeah, sounds right. Wow. Wow. I'm old. I'm officially old that I pulled that one out of my brain. Let me tell you. Flipper Anderson, Jim Everett. Oh, the late 80s of the NFL. Good times. there, And it was well before PPR scoring. You are correct. PPR scoring really didn't start entering into until we got to, you know, the turn of the uh, millennium or the century, as it were. So that's when you started sure. getting the PPR league start to happen. But uh Man, those are some impressive performances, and Tyreek Hill definitely belongs to be up there with them. Yep. All right, well, coming up next, two games that went right down to the wire, Vikings and Panthers and the New England Patriots and Arizona Cardinals. Big playoff spots on the line and, of course, point spreads on the line, too, where you didn't know who was going to cover up until the last minute of the game. We'll have it for you next. Go through the fantasy implications from it when we return on Fantasy Sports Today. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. It's time for us to go through our fantasy recaps of all the games on Sunday. Of course, one more to go tonight on Monday night, and then maybe a game on Tuesday night between the Ravens and Steelers, but we're still sort of uncertain on that one so let's dive right in and go to the minnesota vikings and carolina panthers a game that honestly the panthers dominated more or less from start to finish but the vikings came back and ended up uh, winning this game a late field goal missed by joey sly ended Mm -hmm. the game and so the viking season rolls on with still a possibility at least of making the playoffs kirk cousins uh, 34 of 45 307 passing yards and threw for three touchdowns maybe his best game of the season i would say Dalvin Cook was uh, you know, kind of on and off the field a little bit. I know he was in the tent at one point and, um, you know, just not a game that you would expect him to have, at least against a bad defense like Carolina, only rushed for 61 yards. So tough outcome for him for sure. Justin Jefferson shined with seven receptions, 74 yards and two touchdowns. Great game for him with Adam Thielen on the COVID list. And then the names you may not recognize, B.C. Johnson, seven receptions, 74 yards. Chad Beebe, seven receptions, 63 yards, and a touchdown. Kyle Rudolph, also maybe with his best game of the season, seven receptions for 68 yards as the Vikings' comeback is complete in this one. Now, on the side of Carolina, it it almost looked like they took their foot off the gas pedal a little bit. I really wasn't sure their play calling Mm -hmm. in the second half. They just kept running the ball and giving the ball back to Minnesota, and then Minnesota ended up winning. Bridgewater, not his best game, 267 passing yards, one touchdown, one interception for him. Mike Davis, probably his last, I would say, full-time start. I would expect uh, McCaffrey to be back next week. He had 15 carries, 55 yards, three receptions, 24 yards. Robbie Anderson's season continues to be unbelievable. Four receptions, 94 yards, and a touchdown. He's going to be one of the best wide receivers in fantasy football this season. I mean, that's just a fact. Curtis Samuel, 5 for 72, and then DJ Moore, 4 for 61. So... Uh, look, this was really an exciting game in the fourth quarter, but uh, it was just mm-hmm. a bizarre watch for me in the first half. I honestly quit on this game halfway through the third, Joe, and I just was like, all right, I'll watch something else. Carolina's got this game won, 
But Minnesota came all the way back. You got to give them a lot of credit for scoring that late touchdown. And then Joey Sly, who's been really reliable, especially on mm-hmm. long field goals, 48, 50-yard field goals, ended up missing this and giving Carol, uh, Carol, uh, Minnesota the win. Carolina ends mm-hmm. up covering the spread in this one. Yeah, despite falling apart there in the fourth quarter, they still had a chance at the very end to win this football game. And that's kind of... Yeah, it's a bummer for a Carolina team that really, when you look at the record, they've they've played better than their record. And, and that's saying a lot because I don't think anybody thought they would even have as many wins as they have already all season. So Carolina was, you know, taking a lot of heat for especially this youthful defense. But I think the youthful defense played well. I mean, they held the Minnesota Vikings, who have played really well on offense, I'd say, the last month or so. Just 10 points in the first half of this game. They basically only had 13 heading into that fourth quarter. And then Jefferson really showed up, made some big plays there. Kirk Cousins found him in there. And, and a great redemption for Chad Beebe, too, after blowing that moment there with the kick return, be able to come back and catch that winning touchdown. It was a great moment there for Chad Beebe, son of Don. Not to get all Game of Thronesy on you, but Chad, son of Don, uh, certainly showed up when it mattered the most there. And uh, look, you know, Carolina's record, I think you're going to look at it at the end of the year. But if you didn't watch the games, it really doesn't tell you the story of how much this team battled. And I think this defense, especially the last few weeks, is starting to play better. Still inconsistent, still young, still at times gets taken advantage of in big spots. But I think that comes with experience. I think that's where they're lacking a little bit. You know, their entire draft this year, seven players, all picks were defense. And I think when you have that youthful of a defense, they're going to show you they can make plays. But then when the game gets tight at the end, sometimes they're going to have some miscues, some moments there where they blow some coverages and things like that. But it's all a learning process and a learning curve. I think Matt Rule's done a terrific job, and and it sucks that they lost this game. But a big win here, a big bounce back after a terrible loss for the Vikings last week. So, And they did it without Adam Thielen, which was a big piece of that puzzle missing for them. They found a way, and Jefferson steps up yet again. And I think that's what's impressive to me, too, is Jefferson's not just doing it when Thielen's on the field, but when Thielen's out, Can he step up and be that number one? And I think he answered that question yesterday with a resounding yes. And now I think he's going to get into that conversation with Herbert. And I know Herbert's probably the foregone conclusion for the rookie of the year. But with the injuries to Tua, with the injuries to Joe Burrow, man, all of a sudden, I think Justin Jefferson will look up at those stats and say, this guy should be in that conversation without a doubt. We'll see if the FanDuel numbers uh, kind of reflect that here today. All right, let's take a look at the next game on our board here. It's the New England Patriots and Arizona Cardinals. If there's one game that you had to know going into this thing, it was going to be decided in the last 30 seconds because every (laughs) game that the Patriots play is decided in the last 30 seconds, and every game the Cardinals play is decided in the last 30 seconds. So why that is, I don't know. It's weird, but it's true. You can't count on this anything except for figuring out who's going to win in the end, and in in this case it was the Patriots as basically Cam Newton had one of his worst games ever and somehow the defense stepped up and still got this done. Damian Harris looked awful in this game. 14 mm-hmm. carries, 47 yards. I ended up trading for him in fantasy. And this guy just, I, I don't know. Um, I mean, near the goal line, stuffed, stuffed, stuffed again. And then they put in White and he goes right in. Anyway, that's my frustration. Five carries, 18 uh, yards for White and um, and two touchdowns. Jacoby Myers, five for 52. Look, it just wasn't a great fantasy day across the board for anyone in this game. Arizona, on the other hand, we've seen now Kyler Murray sort of slip back the last couple of weeks, 23 of 34, 170 passing yards, 31 rushing yards, and an interception. Kenyon Drake was able to score twice, so he was the one, I would say, bright spot for them, and Hopkins had a very quiet game on Gilmore, five receptions for 55 yards, if I'm not mistaken there. I don't know. Maybe it wasn't Gilmore, but I'm assuming that that's who it was. (laughs) No, Um, it was. So. So, look, New England games are not pretty, but they keep sort of winning and losing, going back and forth a little mm-hmm. bit. And it's, it's I got to say, 
Arizona, strangely, Joe, is sort of doing the same thing they did last year a little bit, where they get you all excited and hyped up, and then they start to fall back a little bit. I want to give credit to New England's defense. It's definitely in the upper echelon in defenses in the NFL. They played like that all season long. But this was a very winnable game for the Cardinals, mm-hmm. and the Patriots are just going to fight their way, it looks like, to 8-8. Eight and eight. So disappointing outcome for Arizona for sure. And from fantasy, I, I suppose if you use James White in the flex, good job by you. Yeah, well, we talked about James White being uh, able to kind of be called upon again in that absence of Rex Burkhead, and he was, and he responded as James White always will do. He's had a really tough year personally, so uh, great to see him on the field and being able to take advantage of that opportunity yet again here. But, you know, from the Patriots to go from Cam Newton throwing the ball for 300 yards last week to 84 this week is stunning. And Damian Harris had looked really good in previous games. He did not look good in this one. There's no doubt about that. And Kyler Murray didn't look like himself either. And I think we can agree there, too. If you start to look at the stats of how many balls he threw over 20 yards in that game, you know, maybe the shoulder's bothering him a little bit. Maybe that AC joint isn't exactly 100%, and he's trying to get through that. But I don't think Kyler Murray looked as comfortable as he looked in the previous games before that he got fell on uh, two weeks ago, obviously. I think that is starting to show itself a little bit now. I don't know how long that's going to linger. I'm someone who had a sprained AC joint once, and I'll tell you what, it is a painful kind of injury to go through. It's very difficult in terms of range of motion. So, you know, all I can say is that, you know, it would not surprise me if this is the kind of thing that lingers because usually you get that cortisone shot right into the bone, and that makes you feel better for a period of time. But I wasn't playing NFL football. (laughs) I was still fighting and doing things like that. But playing NFL football, that kind of contact is a whole other kind of contact so we'll have to keep a close eye on this because in the fantasy playoffs this could be something that you know those teams that had kyler murray that was carrying them they've got great records and they're heading into the playoffs they look great it's something to be at least a little concerned with here in the back end because it could be your undoing in the in the playoffs potentially if he is not healthy yeah no it's it's definitely a concern i think if you own him in fantasy you're expecting great performances in the last couple weeks you have not All right, so the most lopsided performance on one side, a little bit of a surprise, probably a very big surprise, I I think. Atlanta Falcons just dominate the Las Vegas Raiders from start to finish, and you have to wonder if this is the Raiders from last year, too. They went 1-5 and down the stretch, and they did not look good against Atlanta at all. But give credit to the Falcons. They kind of weaved their way through this one with Koo kicking field goals again. They love those field goals from Koo. Matt Ryan, 22 of 39, 185 passing yards, two touchdowns, one interception. There was no Julio Jones in this game. Also, no Todd Gurley in this game. That came out of nowhere, so Mm -hmm. wonder what's up with Gurley. Ito Smith, 12 carries, 65 yards. He was better than Hill for sure. He also scored a touchdown. Ridley scored a late touchdown to save his fantasy day. Ended up getting you 20 fantasy points. And Koo has been probably the best kicker in fantasy this year, I would guess. I mean, five more field goals for him, four more extra points. And Raheem Morris not afraid to not go for it and attempt field goals. I've seen that over and over again. On the Raiders' side, it was just a disaster from start to finish. Carr looked like the guy from two years ago. Threw a a pick six. It was ugly. Jacobs couldn't run the ball at all. He also fumbled. I I don't think Jacobs got two fantasy points for you if you lose points for fumbles. He had a brutal game. Uh, Renfro was great, 7 for 73. Aguilar was okay, got you 10 fantasy points if you ended up starting him. So, I don't really know what to say about this one. I want to think, Joe, that it's a week-to-week league, like I always say in the NFL, and just dismiss what happened to the Raiders. But there is track record for them falling apart at the end of the season. I'm going to assume that's not going to be. I'm going to assume that this was just one bad game for them and they'll rebound next week. But this was just a shockingly bad performance for them on the road at Atlanta. And by the way, Atlanta didn't play that great either. It's just kind of like they drove the ball. They got turnovers, the kick field goals. 
and then they poured it on at the end. That's the way I saw it. I would say this game and this performance by the Raiders was shocking, disturbing, bewildering, dumbfounding. And I just last week was sitting here giving the Raiders all this credit. Look, they're finally beating the teams they're supposed to beat. Not like last year where they would fall apart. They would play up into the competition and then down to the competition. And on the flip side, too, there's the Falcons, right? Who, you know, coming off last week where they looked terrible against the Saints, you think, okay, well, you know, the Falcons are going to now kind of fade into oblivion. For them to bounce back and play this well, look, I will say this, like you said, it wasn't a phenomenal performance, but the defensive line put a ton of pressure on Derek Carr. Derek Carr created turnovers there. They took advantage of them. That was the story of this game. It's an appalling performance, too, when you consider Derek Carr was averaging somewhere around 18, 19 fantasy points. He came away with 1.6 yesterday. 1.6 for a quarterback. That, that is ridiculous. I mean, I mean, Hinton almost had a better day than him. A stunning loss here, a stunning win and good for Raheem Morris. He's making a play for this job. But, I mean, this is one where I cannot believe the two versions of the teams that showed up yesterday. Yeah, I think that's fair for sure. And, and, and look, I'm not going to get too caught up in, in one game because, as we've seen in the NFL, it changes quickly. But we'll have to monitor what's going on with the Raiders and see if this was a one-time deal or if it's just like last year. We'll be right back. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Lots of high scoring was expected between the Bills and Chargers and Titans and Colts, and we sort of saw that, I think, in both games yesterday. Some very odd play calling at the end of the game from the Chargers, who definitely had a chance not only to win this game, but even potentially cover in this game. But very strange ending to this one. But from beginning to end, you could say that the Bills proved they were the better team for sure. They deserve the cover, uh, unless you believe in the back door, which we'll get to here in a sec. All right, Buffalo Bills. Let's take a look at their fantasy performance from yesterday. Quiet through the air for Josh Allen. He didn't really need to go nuts because basically the Chargers couldn't stop them. 157 passing yards, 59 rushing yards, two touchdowns, one interception, one was on the ground. Devin Singletary was the player of choice on the ground for Buffalo for the most part. 11 carries, 82 yards, three receptions, 20 yards. Gabriel Davis ended up catching a touchdown pass off the arm of Cole Beasley. That's how that went down. And he ended up scoring a touchdown. Diggs was quiet, seven for 39. And Beasley ended up throwing that touchdown pass. So that kind of salvaged his day for the most part. In terms of the Chargers... Herbert was 31 of 52 for 316 passing yards, but really the good news for the Chargers was getting Austin Eckler back, who was a monster again out of the backfield. 11 receptions, 85 yards, and this guy's going to end up helping somebody win a fantasy championship. Now that he is back, Keenan Allen ended up doing okay with uh, salvaging his day with a touchdown, and then Hunter Henry had seven receptions for 67 yards in this game. But I, I think what most people are probably talking about today, Joe, was the end of the game shenanigans with the Chargers just not really understanding what was going on, uh, you know, having the ball on the two yard line with 18 seconds left and then running, getting stopped, and then the field goal unit runs on and then the field goal unit runs off. It's just such a weird ending to the game. And it's, you know, I hate to say it's kind of like the Chargers being the Chargers. And, and and you do want to throw some credit around, credit to the Buffalo Bills, but let's be honest, when you're almost a touchdown favorite in an NFL game, I mean, you're expected to win and win handily. The Bills kind of did, 
But all they basically the Chargers had to do was run the ball in the end zone, and then the back door is there for for the Chargers. But just odd <laughs> game management from start to finish. And Anthony Lynn, who seems like to be one of the most likable guys and great yeah. people in the game, um, I think is going to meet his end at the end of the season, unfortunately for him. I agree. I think he's a great leader. You know, I'm watching him in, in Hard Knocks. I really believed in that guy. And I could see why the players like him so much. And, you know, he seems like a guy that you want to run through a wall for. But football is not just about the leadership aspects. It's also about the X's and O's and the preparation, the execution. You know, what you were talking about describing at the end of that game is something you're never going to see from a from a John Harbaugh team, from a Mike Tomlin team, from a Belichick team, from an Andy Reid team. And, and look, I don't want to compare every coach to those guys. Those guys are Hall of Fame coaches. But, you know, there's certain execution levels and preparation you have to be ready for. And it seems like on a weekly basis, the Chargers have that happen. And that's why the Chargers don't win games. It's another great performance by Herbert from a fantasy standpoint. This is the sixth 300-yard game. If you get bonuses for 300-yard games, man, you are loving Mm. Justin Herbert this year. He has six of them already, and this was just week 12. So he can tack on another few. I mean, that is a stunning thing from any quarterback let alone a rookie. So just to kind of encapsulate that a little bit and, and look, having Eckler back on the field was, was a great addition. He was very cheap yesterday on FanDuel. We recommended him on game day yesterday morning too, is one of those few running backs that you could actually pivot to as a flex running back because there just was not, it was Henry and Chubb and nobody like anybody else really except, well, Eckler's coming back and do you take that risk? And if you did, it paid off. He was still pretty good there. Buffalo, you know, I think you kind of nailed it with your take on Buffalo. It's like when they win, you still feel like, okay, they won, but you never feel like they're dominating start to finish. Does that make sense? I feel like when you watch the Buffalo Bills, you just never feel like they are convincingly always winning games, even in the ones where they come out with the W. It's very difficult sometimes, and maybe the back of the schedule, that will play a little better. And, you know, maybe they've had some tougher matchups here. They played the Chiefs. They, they played some other teams recently where, you know, Arizona certainly, you know, they went to the limit with them on the road. But I don't know. With Buffalo, I feel like they're going to win this division but it's hard not to think of them potentially when you look at the rest of the AFC being a, a first-round exit potentially because I don't think they're in the same class as some of those teams like the Pittsburgh Steelers, like the Kansas City Chiefs. And, and I don't know. I mean, on any given Sunday too, there's things about the Tennessee Titans I like a lot more than I do about the Buffalo Bills right now. Yeah, I think with the Bills getting a, a home game is going to be important to them. I think if they're at home for the first game, yeah. even if they don't cover, regardless of what the spread is, I would probably pick them to win their first home game. But beyond that, I, I, I can't say it because their defense isn't as dominant as you would expect. Usually it's been Buffalo's defense the last decade winning games for them, and yeah. their offense just kind of piecing it together. But I, you know, I don't know that they have that same defense this year. All right, the rematch for the Titans and Colts went the way of the Tennessee Titans, and it was not close uh, Ryan Tannehill did not need to do much in this game. He only threw for 221 passing yards and one touchdown because Derrick Henry just basically in the first half ran all over Indianapolis, and the Colts are just not a team that's going to be able to come back down touchdowns. They they can win games that are close, but if they're down big, it's going to be a big problem for them unless the team turns the ball over like Green Bay does uh, or Green Bay did, and, and of course the Titans are not going to do that because they just run the ball, and Henry – at 178 yards rushing and three touchdowns. And again, he could have had 300 yards if they would have let him go. A.J. Brown, four for 98 in a touchdown. Special teams, touchdown, onside kick. Brown picks it up, runs for a score. Uh, on the side of the Colts, it was uh, it was okay. Not totally disappointing. Rivers did throw for 295 and two touchdowns, but they took him out near the goal line and put Brissett in, and he rushed for two. So that's something interesting to watch moving forward. Naheem Hines, 29 rushing yards, eight receptions, 66 yards. So those in a PPR league ended up salvaging an okay day there. 
T.Y. Hilton, hey, I haven't called his name out a lot this year. Four receptions, <laughs> 81 yards, and a touchdown. And Trey Burton also scored three catches for 42 yards. So the Titans returned the favor. Interesting, a couple of Thursdays ago, the Colts looked like the better team against the Titans. And then yesterday, the Titans looked like the better team against the Colts. And I would say that the third time they play will be an exciting game, and we'll flip that coin and see who ends up winning. <laughs> These two teams, I think, are very evenly matched. I think they both are good. I don't think both are great. Titans have had three seasons this year. Great start, terrible middle, great ending. Colts mm-hmm. have just been sort of winning games magically, it seems like. So I personally don't feel like I have a read on either of these two teams. I think that they they probably should just both play each other in the first round of the playoffs, Joe, and let the best team win. <laughs> I think they're more I like that. that. I like that. I, I think that's exactly the right call there. I think that would be very fun. I'll say this. I think the Tennessee Titans are playing better offensively right now at this point than they were last year at this point. And I think that's going to make them dangerous in the playoffs. I think Corey Davis getting involved in the offense this year, Jonu Smith stepping up. And of course, Derrick Henry season's always Derrick Henry season. And and we'd be remiss if we mentioned or did not mention, excuse me, the uh, the missing of Doris Buckner on that line yesterday. You know, that was that thing we talked about on Sunday morning about, look, you know, Derrick Henry, if you're afraid of the price tag for him on FanDuel, don't be, because without Buckner, that is not going to be the same defensive line, and it wasn't, and Derrick Henry showed that, and the Indianapolis Colts defense has been very good. How good? Well, they haven't given up 35 points in an entire game all year, and guess what? They gave up 35 points in the first half of this game. So just to put in perspective how much Tennessee basically came out there and dominated them, and let's also talk about A.J. Brown, too, because A.J. Brown is absolutely 100% a number one wide receiver in this league. He's a number one fantasy wide receiver as well. You can draft him as your one and feel really good about A.J. Brown next year. There's a lot of people, a lot of analysts, rightfully so, pointing out he was so efficient last year. I don't know if I want to buy into him on 2020 because, well, he didn't get a lot of opportunities. But, you know, the counter argument is he was so efficient with every opportunity he get. Why wouldn't you want that? Why wouldn't you think that he's going to grow as he continues to be in the league? And I think you're seeing that growth. And I think if you took the chance, you've certainly been rewarded. Tannehill played well yesterday also. I think that confidence starting to build up a little bit. But they still have those warts. Tennessee still has those warts on special teams that I worry about when you get into the playoffs. I think offensively they're a better team. But I think defensively, suspect, not as good as they were last year. And certainly from a special teams point of view, very rocky still. Yeah, I'm hoping to get a round for free. I think that that will determine who the best team is. One team wins at the other team's place. I think that shows you the freakiness and unpredictability nature of, of both those teams. All right, it was easy to predict yesterday, I suppose. Dolphins, just from start to finish, um, really didn't do anything, but neither did the Jets, and then they ended up winning and, and covering relatively easily. Ryan Fitzpatrick makes the start for Tua. He throws for 257 and two touchdowns. DeAndre Washington was the only healthy running back for the Dolphins, so he got 13 carries for 49 yards. Devontae Parker ended up putting up some decent numbers, eight receptions, 119. When Fitz is in there, usually mm-hmm. Parker does well. And that was the story, basically, because on the Jets' side, nobody was worth playing, nobody was worth starting, and from a fantasy perspective, it was a zero. Sam Darnold, 16 of 27, 197 and two interceptions. Frank Gore, 74 more rushing yards, just climbing up <laughs> climbing up the all-time list. I don't know what else there is to say about Gore. He's- he just keeps getting carries and, and keeps playing. And Brashad Perriman, four receptions, 79 yards, I suppose. If you played him as a flex, he got 11 points. He can't complain there. A lot of the talk here in South Florida, of course, is about Ryan Fitzpatrick leading his team to a win, almost leading his team to a win the week before in Denver. And the head coach of the Dolphins, Brian Flores, was asked who the quarterback will be this coming week. Yeah, he's healthy. He's he's he's, he's the guy in the 
I don't know how many different ways we have to say that, continue to say that. Uh, but we keep, we keep asking, I'll keep answering the same, the same way. So, um, but oh, again, you know, he's, he's, he's dealing with, with something with the, uh, with the hand and um, we'll take it day to day. He's a tough kid. He wants to be out there. And Thankfully, we have guys who other guys who stepped up. Um, we talk about we can talk about Tua, but uh, you know we had fifty-two other guys who went out there and, and played their butts off today. Um, in, all, in all three phases, and we were able to get a division win on the road, and uh, we're excited to win. And uh, we'll enjoy this one, and then you know, turn the page and move on to to, to the next opponent, um, Bengals. All right, Joe. Well, Brian Flores says Tua is the quarterback. It's a bad lead-in by me. I should have said he was asked about Tua being the quarterback, not who his starting quarterback is. But basically, Tua is is the Dolphins' quarterback when healthy. So I suppose, look, back-to-back nice, easy games that Tua could have gotten as they make their playoff push. He didn't get the one against the Jets. And I got to say that it's not that I don't believe Brian Flores, but I need to see Tua on that <laughs> practice field Wednesday to think that he's going to play against the Bengals mm-hmm. because no one seems to have a sense as to what the Dolphins want to do at quarterback this year. I, I don't think anybody thought it was the right move a few weeks ago when they pulled Fitzpatrick and put Tua in. And clearly he was not healthy enough to play this week. I'm not like yelling conspiracy or anything like that, but... Who gives the Dolphins a better chance to win this week against the Bengals? Is it Tua or is it Fitzpatrick? I, I mean, you'd have a hard time saying that it's not Fitzpatrick, I think. I, I'm not going to say it. How about that? I'm not going to get a hard time saying it. I don't think I'm going to say it. I think you're alluding to a fact right now that I think Fitzpatrick gives them at least the easier path to the win, especially since, since number one, he's healthy. So how healthy is Tua? Is he healthy enough to play or healthy enough to be good? I think that's the real question we have to ask ourselves. By the way, and I also say Brian Flores, that's a tough guy right there. I would not want to cross Brian Flores, period. Like, like that's the kind of guy that you give him a free milkshake, he still looks like he's unhappy. Like, that is an unhappy, that is a tough, tough guy. So, Brian Flores, man, nobody's getting out easy from practice on Brian Flores or anything like that. And I have to argue right now on the side of Ryan Fitzpatrick. And I know it's only against the Jets, but we kind of came full circle. Last time we saw Ryan Fitzpatrick start was against the Jets, and they were playing so well that he left in the fourth quarter and Tua came in and – then he kind of lost his job to Tua. So I think that if Brian Flores wants to really make a run at this division, Fitzpatrick gives him the best chance to do that. And it's not a knock on Tua so much as just where Tua is in the development and where he is physically. And I think that combination of things really has to be considered. And we'll see if Flores does indeed make that change again or if if Tua is even healthy enough to be an option this week. We'll keep a close eye on that one. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll go with what Flores says for sure. Interesting that a lot of people here in South Florida also pointing out that if there's a chance that Flores is the lone Belichick disciple to have success in the NFL. At this point, he may be the last guy standing. We'll be right back with Giants and Bengals. Don't go away. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Hey, 
and welcome back. If you thought going into the Thanksgiving Day holiday and into Sunday that the NFC East would be a little bit clearer, well, <laughs> think again because it is not, and there still be will be more determined tonight. The Philadelphia Eagles are being given yet another chance to be in first place in the NFC East, which is really amazing to think. They're a big underdog tonight against Seattle at home. Let's take a look at what the Giants did to the Cincinnati Bengals, which is play well enough to win but not cover that massive spread of six. The Bengals backdoored their way into a cover. Daniel Jones got hurt in this one, kept coming in and out of the game, 16 of 27. 213 passing yards and 19 rushing yards. Colt McCoy relieved him for a bit, 6 of 10, 31 passing yards. Wayne Gallman, another solid game for him, 24 carries, 94 yards. Evan Ingram's best game of the season for sure, 6 for 129. And Sterling Shepard, Caught seven balls, mostly in the first half, 64 receiving yards for him. On the side of the Bengals, look, they competed in this one and fought to the end even without Burrow. Brandon Allen certainly wasn't great, 17 of 29, 136 passing yards, a touchdown, and a pick. Bernard did end up playing but didn't do much, 32 rushing yards, two receptions, 17 receiving yards. And then T. Higgins ended up getting you what you needed from him, five receptions, 44 yards, and a touchdown. So it got you about 15 fantasy points. But, uh, look, the Giants, uh, Joe, who have been great as an underdog, uh, were not yesterday as a favorite. They kind of let Cincinnati hang around, hang around. Mm -hmm. But the Giants aren't a great football team. They're probably not even a good football team. Between them and Washington and maybe tonight in Philadelphia, this thing is still very much wide open, and anybody can win. Oh, wide open doesn't begin to have that conversation. And what, you know, I know we didn't get to talk much about Washington and Dallas, but what an embarrassment two years in a row for the Dallas Cowboys to lose in their own building on Thanksgiving. You know, Jerry Jones does not care for that. No. And Daniel Jones getting hurt in this game, too. We're still awaiting some of the uh, results of that hamstring test that they're going to do on him today. So hopefully he's okay. But so far, they expect him to more likely miss time. So that could be a huge blow to the Giants, who you're right. Not a great team, but every week they give you great effort from whatever they've got. It's not always as much as the other teams, but they give you effort. So that's why they're at the top of the NFC East right now. Yep, and we'll see what happens tonight. We'll have a preview of the Eagles and Seahawks coming up next here on Fantasy Sports Today. Stay on the grid. Hour two is next.